You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Well, shit. Just as the bulwarks Tim Miller predicted when I had him on to talk about Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill, which is now Florida's Don't Say Gay Law, that shit is spreading. NPR reported over the weekend that Don't Say Gay Bills have been proposed now in more than a dozen states. The American right wing, the religious right, is currently, well, the mainstream right, really, trying to reframe being out as gay to kids. To your students, if you're a teacher, to your own kids, if you're a parent, To your neighbor's kids, if you're a person who lives in an apartment or a house or anywhere other than a gated compound, being out to kids is grooming. The poisonous reasoning here, the argument that's going to get queer people killed, goes like this. Knowing gay people exist, someone telling a kid they're in a same-sex relationship, means telling that kid all about gay sex. And there's only one reason you would tell a kid about gay sex. It's a lie, of course. Of course it's a lie, and they know they're lying. But let's take the lie at face value for a second, because this may be the quickest way to show that straight people, particularly straight parents, know this is a lie. Basically, it comes down to something all married straight parents kind of already know about their own little kids. They know their young kids, know their parents, their straight parents, have a special relationship. Kids know mom and dad are, hopefully, fond of each other in a unique way. Long before kids know what sex is, they know what romantic love is. If not from the example of their own parents, then from the examples they see on television or in books or all around them, assuming they don't live in a gated compound. And then the day inevitably comes when mom and dad, at some point long after their kid has become consciously aware of romantic love, the day comes when mom and dad have to explain what sex is, where babies come from. They have to explain to their kids where kids come from. So knowing romantic love exists does not mean a kid knows anything about sex or even that sex exists. Mom and dad being out, out about being straight, out about being in love with an opposite sex partner, out about being married, that doesn't tell a kid anything they eventually need to know about heterosexual sex. The assertion being made now, the lie being promoted now, is that this works differently somehow with same-sex couples. A young child can't know two men are in love or two women are married without knowing something, without knowing everything, about gay sex and how gay sex works. And yet that same kid can know his mom and dad are in love without magically knowing exactly what mom's Bartholin's glands are doing for her. Bartholin's glands secrete a mucus that lubricates the vagina when a woman is sexually aroused. Surprised you didn't know that, considering that you know that men and women sometimes fall in love with each other. Anyway, Bartholin's glands are to vaginas what those bottles of lube on the nightstands of gay men are to buttholes. All right, so what are we going to do? We're going to fight. We're going to fight these don't say gay laws just as we're going to fight laws passed in three states, Texas, Arkansas, and Alabama, that make it a felony to provide appropriate health care to trans kids. A law recently made it out of the Idaho House of Representatives 
that would ban not just health care for trans kids in that state, but throw any adult who assisted a trans kid in getting the care they needed out of state, including that trans kid's own parents, into prison for life. We're going to fight that. And the fight makes the news and the news filters down to the kids. And then the kids know that they are not alone. Forgive me. I'm going to go to Harvey Milk now. His famous speech about hope opened with this. Somewhere in Des Moines or San Antonio, there's a young gay person who all of a sudden realizes that she or he is gay, knows that if the parents find out, they'll be tossed out of the house. The classmates would taunt the child. And the Anita Bryans and John Briggs are doing their bit on TV, and that child had several options. Staying in a closet, suicide, and then one day that child might open a paper and it says homosexual elected in San Francisco, and there are two new options. The option is to go to California. There's lots of talk about how to fight these laws. We're going to fight them in the courts because, of course, we are. But we should also demand, in some instances, strict enforcement of these laws. Let's take a look at the text of the proposed Don't Say Gay or Trans law in Louisiana. No teacher, school employee, or other presenter shall cover the topics of sexual orientation or gender identity in any classroom discussion or instruction in kindergarten through grade 8. No teacher, school employee, or other presenter shall discuss his own sexual orientation or gender identity with students in kindergarten through grade 12. The Louisiana law, Louisiana's don't say gay law or trans, don't say trans either. The law technically doesn't single out gay people or trans people. It says no one can discuss their sexual orientation or gender identity. A gay male teacher mentioning his husband against the law. He's discussing his sexual orientation. A straight female teacher mentioning her husband also against the law. A teacher who discusses their gender just acknowledges being a man or being a woman. They're talking about their gender identity and breaking the law. Using strictly gender neutral language, which is something that drives right wingers crazier than gender neutral bathrooms. Yeah. If this law passes, it's the only way to stay on the right side of this law. Teachers can only refer to spouses, not husbands or wives. Teachers can only refer to themselves and other people as persons, not men or women. You know, the law could say homosexuals can't do this, homosexuals can't do that, transgender people can't do this, transgender people can't do that. The intent of the law here is clearly discriminatory, but the language of the law can't be. The language of the law has to be neutral. It has to apply equally to all to survive judicial scrutiny. And so the laws are written the way the laws are written. And parents who want to protect their queer kids and kids with queer parents who don't want them erased and straight parents with straight kids who see the injustice here, we can help blow these laws up by demanding that they be obeyed to the letter. The right's goal here is to redefine being gay or lesbian or bi or trans and coming out about it as grooming. This is the same old shit in a brand new bag. They called it recruiting. In 1978, that's what Anita Bryant campaigned on almost 50 years ago when she was campaigning in California for the Briggs Initiative, which would have banned gays and lesbians from teaching to protect kids from being recruited by their teachers. Gay people can't have children of their own, Anita Bryant argued, so we have to recruit yours. 
Harvey Milk rose to prominence fighting and defeating Bryant and the Briggs Initiative. These right-wing pieces of shit, these motherfuckers, these assholes, they want to live in a world where they can pretend gay people don't exist and trans people don't exist. They're not going to live in that world again. But right now, they're creating a world where it's harder for us to exist, just like they've already created a world where it's harder for black people to vote and harder for women to get abortions. And if they're successful, and they won't be, but let's play let's pretend, if they successfully force us all back into the closet again, you know what they'll do next? They'll complain about secret homosexual cells that must be rooted out like they did in the 1950s, and trans people passing for cis and fooling straight people. I'm afraid it's going to get worse before it gets better. And it only gets better, forgive me for invoking that phrase, it only gets better when we fight. We fought Anita Bryant, and we won. We fought Jerry Falwell and the Moral Majority, and won. We fought AIDS and indifference, and won. We fought bans on gay marriage, and won. We win when we fight. This grooming shit, these laws, we're going to fight them. And we're going to win. Because we always do. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's. And on the magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast, comedian John Marco Ceresi joins me. We talk about dating when you're famous and dick pics and what to do about them. Also on the show, you're going to hear about a couple of guys who need to get dumped ASAP. We got a couple of good DTMFAs on the show today. Also for my Magnum subs, we will be dropping a new Sex and Politics on Thursday. Sex and Politics is a new extra segment exclusively for Magnum subscribers to the Savage Lovecast. You can become a Magnum subscriber yourself by going to savage.love. I interviewed Alex Halperin, journalist and publisher of Weed Week, about marijuana legalization, how it enjoys rare bipartisan support in this country, and when we're going to see legal weed in all 50 states. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Foria. Foria crafts 100% all-natural sexual wellness products so you can experience deeper intimacy and transcendent moments of sexual pleasure solo or with your partner or partners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com slash savage. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash savage. This episode of the Savage Love Cast is brought to you by Me Undies, makers of the very best underpants, among all sorts of other very best things. For a limited time, get 25% off your first order of matching pairs for Valentine's Day at MeUndies.com slash savage. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the best mattress for your individualized comfort. Right now, my listeners get up to $200 off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I had a question uh, regarding fetishes. I wanted to know, do fetishes typically need to be reciprocal in a partnership? I am somebody who had experience with a guy who had a foot fetish and I loved it. I loved how he would treat my feet. I loved how he just would interact with my feet when we were intimate. I loved it. I myself am not a big foot person. I don't, he just don't do it for me in that way, the way that it did for my partner. And I was wondering in order for a partnership to be successful with someone who does have a fetish, does that same fetish need to be reciprocated? Well, it's always wonderful when two people who share a kink find each other. It's not always the case that 
two people who share a kink are emotionally compatible, want the same things out of life, and can form a kind of lasting, intimate, romantic partnership. It's often the case that someone discovers all those things, including a lot of sexual overlap, a lot of mutual sexual interests, with someone who doesn't share their kink, which is where GGG comes in, being good, giving, and game for anything within reason. You indulging your former partner's foot fetish, certainly a reasonable thing for him to ask of you and a reasonable thing for you to do. And your own experience proves that it is possible for two people to be in a relationship where one person has a kink and the other person is willing to go there and may enjoy going there. You say you really enjoyed how he treated your feet, even though feet aren't your thing and you may not have, after this relationship ended, sought out another foot fetishist as a partner, you enjoyed this. You were able to go there. His kink was something that you could do and not an unreasonable ask on his part for him to lavish affection and saliva on that particular part of your body that most men might not want to lavish attention and saliva on. Where it's important for kinks to be shared you know, I think reciprocation comes in where, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Hopefully you had sexual interest that he was willing uh, and able to indulge. And he was as GGG in the relationship as you were your former partner, where it's really important for there to be a kink match. Kink concurrence are with those things I call a fetish too far, something that it isn't reasonable to expect someone to do who isn't into that thing in the same way that you are. Really hardcore intense bondage, particularly if you are you know, interested in being the person who ties someone up. Expecting someone to endure intense bondage when that does not turn them on, unreasonable. Shit, piss, there's all sorts of examples I could give here. You know, ADBL, all sorts of examples where it may be too much to expect someone to indulge you because it's physically or emotionally taxing in oh, such a way that somebody, yeah, who's not turned on by it isn't going to be interested in it. Or, you know, that line between disgust and arousal is blurry, but there are some things that for almost all people fall squarely on the disgust side of that line where there's no gray and expecting someone you know, if you're into shit, to be into shit with you because they love you, that's an unreasonable expectation. And so thank God for the internet. People with really extreme kinks are able to find each other now and they can find in the pile of other people out there with those, you know, extreme kinks who share their kinks, someone that maybe they are emotionally and romantically compatible with who wants the same things out of life and they can find a partner whose kinks are their kinks that they can fall in love with. But, you know, most people have, if they have kinks, have kind of mild kinks, and most people don't use the internet to scour the earth to find someone who is their exact match sexually in all ways. And so in every relationship, there's some give and take and there's some negotiating. You know, I just got a question at Savage Love at the column that I'm running down an answer for from a guy whose partner told him that he was into bondage and the guy when he heard that thought okay that's the end of the relationship because i'm not they've been married for 10 years and the kind of bondage his partner was interested in being tied up himself um not a lot of role play no role play was something that the letter writer said he could do and has 
come to enjoy. So your experience with the foot fetishist, an example that kinks don't have to be shared for a relationship between a kinkster and a non-kinkster to work out. The letter that is literally open on my computer right now from the guy who's married to the guy who told him that he was into bondage and that guy thought it was the end of the relationship. Obviously, they made it work out too. So you can make these things work out. But yeah, you're into shit. You're into forcing someone to drink your piss. You're into really hardcore extreme, you know, painful bondage. Those sorts of things. Yeah, you're going to want to use the internet to find somebody who's uh, reciprocates. And by reciprocates in this context, we mean someone who shares your kinks. I recently thought my boyfriend was something happened. Maybe he cheated on me because, one, he washed his own sheets, which I've never seen him do. And then also I saw handprints on his bathroom mirror. When I asked him about it, he, as quickly as he could, windexed the handprints off and said I was crazy. A week later, I met with him in person, and he admitted it. And his response was, monogamy is not natural. Men need variety. It's in their DNA. And that he didn't want to break up. He just wanted me to understand that and that it was a one-time thing with this person. Like said, he was not going to see her again. I don't know how I'm expected to forget about that, but I wanted to know your opinion on monogamy. My opinion on monogamy, welcome new listener. My opinion on monogamy is well known. I think monogamy is wonderful. I don't think we are, and the science certainly indicates that we aren't. We're not a naturally monogamous species. That said, uh, a monogamous commitment is something that we are capable of, and a monogamous relationship is the relationship that the, the style of relationship, the relationship model that most people want. Now, a lot of people want it because they've been told it's what they should want and told that's what all good people do want. And as a consequence of that kind of socialization, you have a lot of people entering into monogamous commitments, making monogamous commitments, who aren't capable of keeping them, who don't really want them, and then fail at it over and over and over again. And a lot of those people walk around feeling like they're terrible people. They have failed at monogamy. What I realized many years ago when I was that person who was cheating a lot was not that I was failing at monogamy, but the monogamy was failing me. And if I had a non-monogamous relationship, perhaps I would succeed at that instead of failing at making monogamous commitments that I couldn't keep. Your boyfriend is, I think, should be your ex-boyfriend. It should be your ex-boyfriend soon. But yeah, to your boyfriend's point, it's not just men that need variety. Women need variety too. A lot of women experience a drop-off in sexual attraction and desire in a committed sexually exclusive relationship faster than males in those sexually exclusive relationships do. Variety, risk, new experiences, just as crucial for female sexual desire and response as if not more crucial than for males. So your boyfriend's attitudes, like this is something men need and women have to put up with and you're going to have to, I guess, just shut up and endure. No one really believes that anymore. And the science, the study of sexual desire in men and women, males and females and everyone in between doesn't 
support that argument anymore. That was an argument that a lot of men made and an argument that 30 years ago I blithely repeated when it was a conventional wisdom. When men were had more power, when a man could cheat on his wife or girlfriend with impunity because you know, economically it was more perilous for a woman to leave her husband than for the husband to leave the wife. And one of the things we've seen as women have become more economically equal, at least in the West, is the cheating gap closed. Used to be in long-term committed relationships, roughly 60-ish percent of men may cheat at some point, 40% of women, and now it's 50-50. So it wasn't that women were cheating at a lesser rate than men because women were less interested in sex or variety. Women were cheating at a lesser rate than men because to cheat, to get caught, to get left, to get divorced was riskier for the woman economically than it was for the man. And also, having to factor into it, the fear of male sexual violence, male jealousy, that women still have to take into consideration when they're making their own choices in a committed relationship about whether they're going to violate that commitment and risk the wrath of a male partner who may be jealous and controlling and angry and violent and to a degree that a woman who faced the same you know, infidelity on the part of her partner may not have that same kind of reaction. All of that, let's set all of that aside. You know, where do, what do I feel about monogamy? I think it's awesome and that people should do it. I think, you know, and you're a new listener, so I'm going to say this. A lot of my longtime listeners have heard me say this a million times. Monogamy is the only thing that humans attempt where perfection is the only measure of success. If you're with somebody for 50, 60 years and they cheated on you once or twice and you find out about it, they were terrible at monogamy and they never really loved you. And that's just bullshit. If you're with somebody for 50, 60 years and they only cheated on you once or twice, they were pretty good at monogamy, not perfect at it, but pretty good at it. And me encouraging people to be more forgiving about an infidelity uh, in the context of a long, long multi-decade term relationship isn't me trying to undermine monogamous commitments. It's me trying to save monogamous commitments because I think where there's been an affair, where there's been uh, infidelity in the context of a long-term relationship, that doesn't necessarily mean the person doesn't love you. And I don't think that's something we should put into people's heads, pound into people's heads uh, that they can't get past. That's unforgivable. We tell people that infidelity is unforgivable and is always the end of the relationship. It will end a lot of relationships that probably shouldn't end. In this case, though, your boyfriend lying to you, gaslighting you, saying really deeply sexist shit to you, rolling out rationalizations for future uh, cheating incidents where he's going to have somebody over and they're going to leave greasy handprints on the mirrors in the bathroom and he's going to conspicuously wash his sheets, which he never does for himself. Also a reason to dump a guy never washes his sheets for himself. That's your job as his girlfriend. Fuck that. Dump that guy. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to be with this guy. Go find a guy that you can be with who can make a monogamous commitment. And then the two of you should be realistic about what that means. A monogamous commitment and being in love with someone doesn't mean that you aren't going to want to fuck other people. What it means is that you're not going to fuck other people. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Euphoria, makers of products for amazing sex, the kind of sex you want to have. Products including arousal oil, clean lube, bath salts, 
and suppositories. People are literally saying things like this about Foria's products. This is a quote. I had a three-minute orgasm and then a five-minute orgasm and felt like I was surfing in a perpetual wave pool of pleasure. And another quote, we use Awaken, and when she gets on top, we both come so hard that we see sounds and hear colors. And it doesn't hurt when GQ calls you the best sex product of the year, and Shape says you are the best invention since the vibrator. Now, this is a little personal, but Terry and I tried the suppository and leave it to Foria to make suppositories sexy. They did it. I'm not sure what they put in there. I know there's CBD at least, but they have some serious love potion energy. So yeah, you have my permission to try this. I fully endorse you to go ahead and treat yourself to more deeper, fuller pleasure wherever you can find it as often as possible. And you can start with a bottle of Foria. Foria is offering a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting www.foriawellness.com slash savage or use the code savage at checkout. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash savage for 20% off your first order. I recommend trying their awaken arousal oil and sex oil. You'll thank me later. Hi, Dan. Gay guy living in the Pacific Northwest, originally from England. Been married for eight years. My husband and I broke up about eight months ago. There was a number of different reasons, and it was it was it was a nice breakup. We're the best of friends. We really deeply love each other. Um, there was no arguments. He just was fed up of the rain in the Northwest and moved to the California coast. Got a better job down there and all the all, all different kinds of stuff. You know, life's nuanced. There's no one thing. I miss him like crazy. We still love each other. We we text every day. It's it's really silly. <laughs> He's living with someone new. I'm dating someone new. I'm trying to move on from this relationship, from this marriage. But I'm living in the house. I bought the house, but we lived in it together, me and my husband, for eight years. Even though it's been like almost eight and a half months now since he moved out. I still, you know, the house is is full of memories. The house is a, is a museum of our relationship. And I keep trying to push through to keep the house and not sell it or try and get some, you know, go somewhere else or whatever. Or, and I, I just don't know what to do. Should I sell this house? Can I move on from this? Am I just grieving and I shouldn't do anything drastic while I'm in such a, an emotional mess still? I just feel like it's like he died. I still see him in the house doing the laundry and stuff like that. And it just hurts. Every day I come in, it just hurts. Do I give it a more time? Because, you know, <laughs> who, wants to, who wants to sell the house? I love the house. It's really nice and quiet living. I don't know what to do. And the advice would be lovely. Why on earth did you guys get a divorce? Oh, we're not divorced yet. Was that the question? Why did we? No, 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 no. It, like he moved away. He moved to California because he couldn't take the rain, and and you miss him, and you're sad, and you're. It sounded like you broke up. Did you not break up? Or you just oh, living apart? Yeah, we. No, we we. <sighs> hmm. No, we broke up. It's it, it's really strange. We have we have a relationship where we're, we're so close and we love each other so dearly. Then when things weren't working out earlier on, like a few years back, you know, the 
aspects kind of went off the boil a little, mm-hmm. but we continued with a, you know, a what, what do you call it when you have two people living together? A companionate, companionate relations. Mm-hmm. Mm. But just love so deep, it didn't matter and everything was great. And then the pandemic and then the rain and the winter here in the Northwest and we were having an open relationship and he was kind of trying to see someone else that didn't work out and was, mm-hmm. he was coming and bringing that home and I was trying to help him through that. And oh it's God. complex. You know, these things are kind of <laughs> right. R- let's write a novel. Huh? You know, over time, you know, when you see the, I just saw a picture of a couple that's been married for 70 years and I looked at them and thought they're not fucking like yeah. if you're together, two people are together long enough eventually every relationship is a companionate one and to find somebody that you love and that you can live with and you enjoy spending time with, even if the sex falls away, that's a lot to leave on the table. That's a lot to walk away from for Mm. butt stuff. Right. Right. And I, I just think just like listening to you talk about the man who's still your husband, it just made me really want to figure out a way to make this work, including it being, it's not that long a distance, semi long distance, you know, or it being open or it being poly. It just, even if the sex isn't there. And, and, and I know that is tricky. You know, Terry and I have been mm. open relationship for a very long time. Initially it was monogamish. I coined that term to describe us because we just had occasionally sex with other people, but we didn't have relationships. And eventually it became relationships. And I have been there for Terry when he broke up with somebody else and was sad. And that's weird. Right? <laughs> yeah. The first time yes. it happens, it's weird. Because there's no, there's no training for that. You don't see that in movies right. or television. You don't see that in your own family. And it just feels like, how do we walk through this? And are we supposed to walk through this? <laughs> And how does a couple do this? But you know what? We did it. Right. And it can be done just because we haven't seen it done, just because it's not a part of what we're told, we, something we should, we're told we could expect or should expect in a marriage. And I'm glad that we did it. You yeah. know, I saw him be yeah, really sad yeah. about somebody else helping him. And of course, part of me was like, am I not enough? And, and then my own words rang in my head. How many times have I told people, of course, you're not enough. No one person is enough for any other person. And I had to allow yeah. for him to be sad. And I had to allow that, you know, sometimes I'm going to be Dan Savage, sex advice columnist, not just for my readers or listeners, but also for my husband. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I had you ringing in my skull the whole time. <laughs> if you had said, you know, the relationship was high conflict, there were all these other issues, like we had conflicts no. around money. Like if there was just something else no. I could hang my, yeah, you guys should break up or get a divorce hat on, I would. But if it's just like we love each other and dating other people while staying together has been complicated, okay, well, breaking up and getting a divorce, that's complicated too. Yeah. I just don't see us again going back to how things were, to be honest, now since he moved out. I felt like, I don't know, he's... He's moved on? Um, I don't know if either of us have moved on entirely. This is the weird thing is we kind of 
love each other and are still there and we're doing all that kind of stuff. He's seeing someone else. Now this other guy's actually moved in now. So that kind of like knife in the stomach for me a little bit, but mm. I want him to be happy. And I know that this other guy's cool. And we actually hung out now and, and I'm really happy that he's, you know, he's got somebody else in that, in that way. I, I honestly don't think that things are going to go back to the way they were. And I'm not quite sure that they sort of should. Or they ever do. Like relationships change over time. I just kind of feel like I, I stood in the middle of the living room the other day and I just was frozen like a kid that just dropped their ice cream. I was just standing there like, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to feel. You described it living in a museum of your marriage or your relationship, which because of the arrival of yeah. the boyfriend probably feels a little bit more over than it did before. I, I guess I would encourage you not to make any moves right now, literal or figurative. Don't sell the house. Don't get a divorce. You have a husband. Your husband is living somewhere else. He's seeing somebody else. You should see other people. And then like in a year or two, maybe right. what you ought to do will seem clearer than it does now. Maybe you standing there in the living room feeling stuck <laughs> wasn't a sign that you need to forcibly unstuck yourself or unstick yourself, but a sign that you're just kind of stuck right now. And that's right. not a bad it place to be when you don't know what to do. Yeah, it fucking hurts. Yes. You just want the pain to stop, right? Yeah. Sorry, I'm crying again because it just, it's just the house, you know, like the, everything in here is just, you get, know. Get some new things in, that in there. Get some new things in there or move. <sighs> you can stay married and fucking move and have your own place. Right. Now's a good time to sell a house in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. You've owned it for I eight years. Like, gonna... again, it's like you want an adult sometimes to tell you what to do. Because <laughs> you literally, look like, I just like financial decisions. You, you say you want an adult to tell you what to do. And A, I never think of myself as an adult. And B, I'm telling you not to do anything. I'm telling you to like just stand there in your living room for a while and feel these feelings. And I think clarity about what you should do will come. Like a day will come when you'll realize that you know what to do next. Whatever that is. And I don't know what that is. Maybe you guys are going to get back together. Maybe you can all live under one roof with other partners. Maybe you'll have a long distance right. marriage. And then like in a decade or two, you know, he'll churn through some boyfriends. You'll churn through some boyfriends. And it'll be clear that you have short-term yeah. relationships with other people. But this long-term relationship with each other that's worth preserving. Uh, we, we can't know right now. But I think right. you'll know in time. And it sucks to hear that because if you're in pain right now being told, yeah, you're going to live in this pain for longer. But then yeah. you don't want to make all the wrong moves and have the pain of that. And there's no move you have yeah. to make right now. Right. Yeah, every, every decision I come to just fills me with anxiety and I just get fatal sick. You know? Okay, no, well, not good. <laughs> stay. So good, thank you. That's good advice. Stay Do put. Nothing is, yeah. Okay. Okay. And I hope you're dating other guys uh, too. I hope you're getting out there. I hope you're getting some ass. Uh, um, yeah, I am. Good. Good. With <laughs> that accent, I bet accent. you get all the ass a, a man could possibly want on the West Coast of the United States. That accent will take you far. It's like a magic sound that unbuckles a belt and trousers fall. <laughs> in, yeah, it happens in Fred Meyer every day. I <laughs> and people drop their underwear. Good luck. Hey, Dan, thanks so much. And thanks for everything that you do for everyone. You're amazing. You oh, really gosh. are. You've saved my life numerous times in the past. No, seriously, I know you hear this a lot, but seriously, thank you so much. 
thank you. you for everything you do. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the people responsible for so many of our refreshing, restful nights sleep, as well as some of our very memorable evenings as well. Here's how it works. Here's how you get yours. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Everybody's unique and Helix knows that. So they have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattress is great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. Mattress is great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains. And even a Helix Plus mattress for plus size sleepers. We, me and Terry, we took the Helix quiz and ended up with a midnight Lux mattress because we wanted a medium firmness because we thrash around at night, sometimes even when we're asleep. And it really is the most comfortable mattress we've ever owned. So if you're looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, you order the mattress that you're matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They will even pick it up for you if you don't love it. But you know what? You are going to love your new Helix mattress. Helix even has financing options and a flexible payment plan, so a great night's sleep is never far away. And... Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash savage. Let them know the Lovecast sent you and get those big discounts by going to helixsleep.com slash savage. That's helixsleep.com slash savage. Hi, Dan and the tech savvy at Refuse. I'm a 49-year-old cis straight man in the Midwest in a loving, satisfying marriage. We are monogamish and live a life I couldn't have imagined at a younger age. Here's the problem. My previous wife of many years struggled with physical pain from penis and vagina sex. This was the opposite of what either of us wanted, and I absolutely hated hurting her. And because my new wife has a disability and some health challenges that require special care, I can tell I still have shell shock that I'll hurt her too even though the reality is that penis and vagina sex is not painful for her. In fact, she wants and misses it. We do lots of other things, and we succeeded in a strict physiological sense at penis and vagina sex when we've made a special point of it, but frankly, I still avoid it. I just seem to have those wires crossed still, and I pull back and lose all sense of ease and naturalness fearful that any wrong move I make will injure her. So, what do I do? How do I convince my mind and body that I won't hurt her? A few other points. We both have high sex drives, and I don't really have problems getting erections, certainly not for other things. She also has a penetrative toy that she adores and says I can use on her to get more comfortable, I've heard you suggest multi-session uh, acclimating strategies to callers in the past. Perhaps I could do something like that. I don't know. You've already got all the advice you need from your wife. She has a penetration toy that she loves, that she really enjoys being penetrated with or by. I assume, despite her disability, that she's able to use this penetration toy on herself Allow her to do so. Allow her to show you how much pleasure her body is capable of uh, experiencing during penetrative sex and allow her then to show you how to use that toy 
on her and give her that pleasure with that toy and then toss your dick in there. You know, the experience you had with your previous spouse carved a deep groove in you. And in a way, that's a good sign. If you had no hesitations or qualms about really, you know, going for it during PIV sex, despite having been with someone for many years, that PIV sex was extremely, you know, uncomfortable or or caused them a lot of pain. I would wonder what was wrong with you in a way, you know, it's not helping you in the relationship you're in now. And it's not a great sign that you can't make a, you know, a distinction between, you know, the wife you had and the wife you have, and that they're different people capable of experiencing pleasures in different ways. But we can fall into really deep grooves when it comes to sexual activity. And you're right there with a rock hard dick when it's oral or mutual masturbation or rolling around or whatever else. But because it caused your previous partner so much pain when you penetrated her, your dick's a little shy about PIV. The only way to get past that is to carve a deeper groove, carve a new groove. And you have the tools to do it. You have your wife's beloved penetration toy. Take the pressure off your dick. You don't have to be hard or stay hard to engage in penetrative sex and play with your current partner. You can witness with your own eyes how much she digs it, how much she loves it. If you're hard and you're using the penetration toy, you can switch to your dick. If your dick gets shy and you know you start to lose your heart on, you can go back to the toy. And then you can transition to using your dick the whole time on your new wife's hole the whole time. And it's just going to take time and it's going to take some effort and it's going to take you listening, not to your friendly neighborhood sex and relationship advice columnist slash podcaster, but you listening to the partner that you have, the wife that you have, who is trying to put into your hands the toy that is the key, that is the tool that can get you out of the rut you're in or get you out of the groove that you dug with your previous partner and help you carve a new groove with her. Go get that penetration toy. Use it. First couple of times you use it, don't even take your fucking pants off. Not about your dick at all. Just about watching and witnessing and learning and creating a new association between penetrative sex, PIV sex, using a toy, and your partner's ability to experience that as pleasurable. And Once you get that into your big head, then... Hopefully, your dick will be there for PIV too. Are you practicing self-care? Are you? You're required to. I require you to. And nothing says care. Nothing says self-care. Nothing says I'm taking care of myself quite like a membership with me undies. Maybe your mind doesn't automatically leap to thinking of underwear as self-care, but it should. Your choice of underpants each morning sets the tone for the rest of your day. And having a brand new colorful pair of me undies in your drawers to pull on and wear under your drawers is going to make you feel the love, the self-love. Lean into loving yourself with the free to join me undies membership and receive a fresh new pair of undies delivered right to your door each month hassle-free. Nancy bookends her day with her comfy me undies in the morning and her comfy me undies pajamas at night. She has the narwhal print and loves them. I am, as regular listeners know, a lounge pants guy myself and Terry looks delectable in his me undies t-shirts. They really hug those tits. 
A MeUndies membership really is a sweet gift you can give yourself with free shipping and returns on every order, savings on virtually everything they make, exclusive sales, and early access to the newest stuff. It is the ultimate way to ensure you start off every day or, like Nancy and me, end every day in comfy bliss. Available in sizes XS to 4XL with new prints dropping monthly. There's always something new to try. Get super soft undies, bralettes, or socks shipped right to your door or those lounge pants I love and live a more comfortable life. And MeUndies has a great offer for my listeners. For any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off for a limited time. If you sign up for their free to join MeUndies membership, you get 25% off your first membership item. So to get 25% off your first membership item or 15% off your first order and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash savage. Let them know the Lovecast sent you. Go to MeUndies.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I'm an early 30s non-binary pansexual living in the rural South. I was assigned male at birth and primarily present as a straight cis male, mainly due to where I live, and I also haven't been out for too long. I came out to my wife last summer, and she was taken completely for surprise and struggled with it and continues to do so. I get it. We were both raised in very conservative backgrounds, and my identity is at odds with the beliefs in these backgrounds. Where we both have shifted over the years in our beliefs, I am definitely more progressive, consider myself leftist, and even a little agnostic at times. And to provide further context, I would describe our marriage as rocky at best. We have been together for nine years and married for five of those. And where we have had some very good times together, I have gone through several spells where I have felt unloved, lonely, unsupported and sometimes even emotionally manipulated. These feelings have been magnified through me coming out and her telling me things like she is scared about how I might start to present because she is not attracted to women or people who present more feminine. My wife is not a terrible person, but I just feel like we have a lot of differences that she doesn't seem to want to or is incapable of growing through. Recently, we had a conversation about this, and I said that I was considering leaving. Again, she was shocked by this and told me that she couldn't imagine life without me and how she still really loves me. I really struggled with this because she does not usually show this. And honestly, like when she said things, says things like that, it feels like emotional manipulation. We have had similar conversations over the years, and this sort of feels like the same, even though she has shown some changes. I do think that separating would be good for us, but when I do think of leaving, I feel extremely sad about it and hate that it's come to this. I guess I would just like to hear her thoughts. I, do, do you think that this relationship can be salvaged? Am I crazy for not being ready to give up on this while also being tired of being lonely? Any sort of insight would help, even if it's the tough love kick in the ass that I need. So when your wife tells you that she loves you, can't imagine her life without you, you don't believe her. You also often in this marriage, this relationship of nine years, marriage five, feel unloved, lonely, unsupported. Manipulated, indeed, you think your wife is manipulating you now by telling you 
that she loves you, which sounds like she doesn't tell you often or make you feel often. And you raising the possibility of ending the marriage prompted her to say, and you just don't believe her. Yeah, I think you should end the marriage. And, you know, if you're a non-binary pansexual assigned male at birth person, you should get the fuck out of the rural South. And maybe that's just me being a big city, Northern urbanite, but, and you know, my prejudice is showing. I've heard from lots of queer people over the years who live in the South, live in the rural South, really like it, have found their communities, have even found support from you know, straight people, often even religious people in those communities that surprised them and would certainly surprise me. But yeah, I would get the fuck out of there if I were you. And yeah, if you need my permission to, to end this marriage, uh, to do what it sounds like you've already decided you need to do, well, then you have it. You should end this marriage. And while it would be wonderful if your wife could grow with you uh, as you come out, maybe she's just not attracted to women or femme presenting people. And that's not something that she's necessarily going to be able to grow through and not something that is broken about her or she should have to heal from or grow through. That may be just legitimately the kind of person, you know, she finds attractive as a masculine person, as a man and a masculine presenting person. And that's not something that she's going to be able to do anything about. And if you feel constrained by the limits of her desires uh, around your presentation, around being out about being yourself, well, then that's another indication you need to get the fuck out of this marriage and maybe also the fuck out of that small town and the fuck out of that region of the country. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's read some listener tweets. Emmy Sue tweets, I am a loyal Savage Lovecast Magnum sub, but I was disgusted by this week's opening rant. Damn, why, oh, why did you have to name my state senator, octogenarian Chuck Grassley, as an example of who's attending those congressional GOP drug-fueled orgies? Barf emoji, hashtag vote blue in 2022. Forgive me, Emmy Sue. Thank you for being a Magnum sub. Gotta stick up for the octogenarians. In my audience, though, the octogenarian thing is the least offensive part of Chuck Grassley. Anon Leather tweets, speaking of the cost of male sex toys, I recently mentioned a $5,000 male milker on the show. In the mid-90s, Anon Leather goes on, I opened up a vintage AccuJack from when they were $400 and $1980. It was a windshield wiper motor, some rough cut lumber, and a few other parts and a tackle box. Yeah, and people stuck their dicks in those Amazing they ever got their dicks back out. Oh, and if you don't mind me mentioning my own dick, if you do, you want to use that little skip ahead button on your phone. I got to try out one of those $5,000 milkers myself recently. Thank you, Brian. And yeah, that is one expensive blowjob. And finally, Flawed Artist tweets, absolutely love this week's Savage Lovecast, the fakes episode. But I must tell you, Dan Savage and Nancy Hartunian, there already is a clit bit. Check out at Lioness Health at lioness.oi. Vagina havers can track and improve their orgasms with this smart vibrator. Hashtag Savage Lovecast. Hashtag track your orgasms. I went and checked it out. Linus, a smart vibrator that syncs up with an app on your phone, collects data about your orgasms so you can learn more about them and track them. I haven't tried it myself. I am not a vagina haver, but 
Lioness describes their toy as a Fitbit for your sexual pleasure and health. So one already existed, one was already out there, and I would be interested in hearing from women who've tried it. All right, if you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And a big thank you to everyone who tweeted or posted to Facebook or TikTok or anywhere else about the show this week. We really appreciate the way you all helped spread the word about the Lovecast. And now, listener response calls. A comment on the caller who was having an affair with a married man and wanted to know if she should send a letter. I propose a drinking game for the number of times she said, we found ourselves uh, removing all agency from a multiple year relationship is a red flag. If you feel that you have been fated to stand by your man and that this relationship is fated by the stars and that you have absolutely no agency and that an anonymous letter is the solution, uh, I suggest you look at all the choices you have made over the span of this relationship. And the last decision you should make is to leave it. Hi, Dan. This is for the woman from episode 806 who was dating the married man for six years. Boy, doesn't he have a great life. He's got the faithful little wife at home who takes care of the kids, and then he gets the hot sex on the side. Oh, honey, you're a fool. You need to dump this motherfucker already. Hi, this is a comment for the woman who called in about her concerns about getting a mullet in appropriating queer culture. And I just want to reassure this woman and any straight person that queers do dictate fashion, and that is very true, very stylish. Uh, and by the time it gets down to you guys, we're already over it. It's already three years down the drain, and baby, you guys can have it at that point. I used to have a mullet, and then I shaved it off on New Year's going into 2021. And lo and behold, a month later, Ted Cruz's dumbass was walking around with a mullet of his own. You know what I mean? And if you want to have Ted Cruz's haircut, be my guest. It is up for grabs. And we're going to leave it where? There. There is where we're going to leave it. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064. Toronto and Miami, come get humped. My Dirty Little Porn Film Festival will be screening in your cities this weekend. Also streaming online for everyone everywhere else. Go to humpfilmfest.com for tickets and times and links. International Denim Day, National Administrative Professionals Day, used to be known as Secretary's Day, and Koningsdad are all coming right up April 27th. A fuck first mug available in our merch store at savage.love makes a great gift for the denim fetishist, the executive secretary, or the king of the Netherlands on your list. Follow me at fake Dan Savage. Follow John Marco Ceresi at John Marco Ceresi. John Marco is spelled G I A N M A R. C-O, Ceresi, S-O-R-E-S-I. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week on an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.